How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Not joining me from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, but instead joining me from Langford, British Columbia, where the city's motto is, it could be worse, we could be souk. Tim Jensey. Tim, how are you, sir? Um, doing pretty good. Funny, because we had a different intro the first time we recorded this. We did. We did. However, this is a second take because, you know, you're not in studio right now. Yeah, it's just one of those weird things where you record it, you check it the day of, it's there, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah, I don't even know what to tell you on that, man. Yeah, it was just a weird day. Absolutely. So, Tim, let's get right into the episode. Uh, this episode is Season 2, Episode 12, also known as Episode 40, the Patrick Laleem episode. So, Tim, i got to ask, like, what are your memories of Patrick Laleem? Honestly, I remember the line brawl against Philly back in Oh four. And oh four. I was close. Yep. But uh, the big thing is like and we we're kinda of saying this, it's Patrick O'Lean is one of those guys where it's I think even five years ago a lot of people would bring up O'Lean, but he's kind of fallen off as time's gone on. Mm-hmm. And I know that and we'll get to it when we talk to the with Trevor Shackles, is that I've said it seems like over the last several years, it seems like Patrick O'Lean's name gets mentioned less and less and less when you're talking about the greatest players in the Ottawa Senators. No, he wasn't, and he was a very, very good goalie, and I believe he got nominated for a Vesna in 0203. I can't confirm that, but I think he got nominated. He may have even won it. But the one thing I remember about Patrick Laleem, other than at the alumni game when the fans started chanting Patty, Patty, was Marvin the Martian Mask. That thing's awesome. Yeah. Also, where do the fans keep finding these fighting goalies? I don't know. I don't know where they keep finding these guys. Although Craig Anderson hasn't been in a fight yet. Not yet. Yep. So, speaking of Craig Anderson, we don't have a poll for next week because next week is Season 2, Episode 13, Episode 41, the Craig Anderson episode. Ooh, that'll be a good one. It is. Hopefully he's back healthy after for us to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, because, you know... Lord knows, I don't want to have to talk about five games next week where he's not involved. Yeah, well, we've already got a few losses teed up. Yep. So, Tim, you know what we haven't talked about in the last couple of weeks, and I can't believe that we didn't add it into the show? Is it something fun? Yes. This is the XFL! Eight cities have been announced for the XFL, Tim. The, ex- the eight teams are Dallas, Houston, L.A., New York, St. Louis, Seattle, Tampa Bay, and Washington. Yeah, it's an interesting mix of cities. I, I guess it's like I'm a little surprised they didn't aim for some of the t- cities that don't have NFLs. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they, they wanted to keep, it seems like they're keeping costs down by going for cities with NFL stadiums already. Yep, and even that we've talked about this when you were in studio last time, that the XFL could have gone for these 
markets like San Antonio, Utah, places that the NFL hasn't gone to because they have college stadiums there that are big enough that mm. they can support an XFL franchise. Yeah, some old, yeah, I'm especially surprised that they didn't try like Salt Lake City or something. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know how much the Mormons are into football, though. Why wouldn't they be? Like, uh, the Utah Jazz seem to do quite well. Uh, the Salt Lake City and the last team does quite well, fr- from what I understand, so... Mm-hmm. It's not like it's a barren market. No. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why the NFL, or in this case, the XFL, wouldn't go to Utah, but... Yeah, it's an untapped market, because Salt Lake City is one of those surprises... It's a city that a lot of people don't think about, but it's, uh, it has a lot of very well-paid people, and there's a lot of uh, fin- there's a surprising amount of finance and tech in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Is your, i got to ask, man, is your mic crapping on? I knew we were getting kind of a little bit of feedback here on my end. Uh, I'm using an iPhone microphone. Uh, it might just be moving. Okay. Uh, Maybe just lay it flat. We could try to do it from there. Okay. Is this better? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let's just talk for a couple seconds. Okay. Uh, getting rid of the feedback or? No, we're good now. We're good. Okay, take it. Okay. So, Tim, this is going to be our last episode for 2018. It's really hard to believe that 2018 has already come and passed because it just seems like yesterday you were in studio and we were doing our episode at the end of 2017, and now we're at the end of 2018 and. The best way I feel that we should look back on it is with a retrospective. Ooh, clip show. Yeah. So we're going to start off with, now, if you've been following us on Twitter with the episode, you may have noticed the hashtag Potter and Family. Now, Potter and Family is a group on social media that helps out smaller podcasts get recognition or attention. And they did a Potter and Shuffle, which was they would pick one podcast to be featured on their homepage and we were chosen for February 5th of this year. Yeah, and what was kind of cool about that is we were just kind of, at that point we were punching around with maybe 10 lists an episode, one of them had them. But, uh, no, it was nice just to get a, like a listener bump. It was. It was really, really cool. And the fact that we didn't have our fan Adam yet. Oh, we didn't have Adam yet? No, no. Did we have Adam? I don't... I can't, I think we, no, no, we did have Adam by that point, never mind. Yeah, he just didn't have a podcast yet. <laughs> That's true. Which comes to February 20th, we re-released our first recording. What do you remember about that first recording, Tim? I remember that you and I hadn't talked in several years, we got together, we did half an hour, 40-something minutes, and then we spent three hours after we are just talking. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it was funny, because like, I remember recording the episode, was like, uh, uh... And then we looked at it, it's like, shit, we only got like half an hour of content here. Yeah, but we didn't know what we were doing, right? And I guess over time, we tried to figure it out, and we were like, okay, we kind of know what we're doing. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I think part of it was just kind of figuring out what each of us, how each of us likes or yeah, exactly. broadcast, yeah. But, uh, no, it's just kind of fun to put it out there. It was. And the fact that we did a a brand new opening for the show, which we talked about our thoughts and what our mindset was going into that episode. I feel it was a very good look back on it. And it's not one of my favorite episodes by any chance because, I mean, wow, we were terrible. But, you know, we improved, sort of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We could probably put an opening on, like, a really early episode in a a few years' time. 
Pretty much. Let's head on to March. Partner Family, once again, back in the news, they did a March Madness podcast tournament, and we were chosen. We got knocked out in the second round. Well, I mean, that's pretty good, considering considering what March Madness is. It means we at least won a round. Yeah, I know. uh, uh, It's very Ottawa Senator-esque, you know. They get out of the first round, only be beaten in the second. Was it a Pittsburgh podcast? It was not a Pittsburgh podcast or a Toronto podcast. Actually, I don't even remember what podcast knocked us out, but, you know, it wasn't either of those. Okie doke, okie doke. So, acceptable, acceptable. Exactly. And to close out March, speaking of our bot Adam, we did our very first interview with Adam Young, who is currently the host of the Three Ghosts, No Wait, Four Ghosts podcast. Yes, that was the first time we ever had him on the show. Okay, yeah. I remember for a while we just wanted to get some interview practice, and uh, we intended to do it with your cousin after uh, New Jersey won the draft lottery back in 2017, but that kind of fell through. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, having Adam on was fun. It was, and the fact that we got a lot of good talking points out of him is really good, and the fact that he and I have sort of similar interests and we listen to the same kind of podcast, it really helped the... When it came to talking, right? Because it's like, all right, you know, he would make a reference and I would get it sort of deal. So it was kind of cool. Yeah. And then we're going on, in, sorry, we're going on in, into May. We did our first Sens-related interview with then-Silver 7 Sens writer Trevor Shackles, who is going to be on this week's episode, Tim. Yeah, and honestly, it's always awesome to have Trevor on the show. And uh, I thought we had a really good first interview there. You know what's funny is that I don't feel I don't feel that way just because of how stiff I feel that I sounded on the episode. It was like, so Trevor, what do you think about the senators? It sounded like that. It sounded like you could tell that I was reading off a script. Yeah, but then again, it's like I think it's only the summer, only second time you've ever interviewed someone. Yeah, and the first time that we've ever interviewed somebody within the sense blogging community. Yeah, so like, kind of makes sense. Yeah. But, like, again, I'm the complete opposite where I almost don't prepare anything and that might come across as a fault. But it's, you get better. Mm-hmm, exactly. Speaking of Adam, to close out May, we did our very first appearance on the Three Ghosts, No Wait, Four Ghosts podcast. Now, what do you remember about that, Tim? Because we had never been interviewed for the podcast up until that point. I didn't know what to expect, honestly. No, neither did I, and I didn't really ask just because I wanted to be surprised, but I was really glad that Adam did more of a top-of-the-hour episode with us, and he got our thoughts on, I believe, Tom Don Don joined the team as the owner by that point, and there's a few other things, so that was really cool, right? And, you know, I just, I feel it was really good to have Adam, or for us to be on Adam's podcast, given that he was on ours, and we've been on... A second time together, and I was on it later on in the year, which we'll talk about. Was that when I ended up talking to... Was that when I told the story about that woman that sounded like sugar? Yes. From YTV? <laughs> yes, that's because we. Um, it was down at the um, Cineplex in Lansdowne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was ridiculous. Oh, God, that was funny. Just your reaction... You saying that, and I didn't know that was coming. Oh, that just killed me. <laughs> well, it's just... Imagine just like someone walking down the street hearing that. So I guess uh, anyone who wants to hear the story uh, on episode four of 
Three Ghosts, No Four Ghosts? Yes, I believe is the Chris Phillips edition of the Three Ghosts, No Four Ghosts podcast. So did we steal that idea? No. No, because no. we had that idea already before, uh, before Adam did the Three Ghosts podcast. Gotcha, gotcha. Speaking of Trevor Shackles, one of the nice things about having him on is that we got a, quite a bit of exposure from that. And one of the biggest things is that we got contacted by Beer League Talk. Now, Beer League Talk is a podcast and a blog that is more into the beer hockey league scene. And they were doing a mock draft article for 2018, and we were chosen to represent the Ottawa Senators. Man, we got too cute with that. No, you got too cute with it. I was trying to be a very serious sort of writing segment that I did, and even when I talked to Trevor Shackles, coming back to this, you know, and I mentioned that I flirted with the idea of being a blogger, and he was one of the first people I told, he doesn't remember me saying that, he remembers me being in the bar with him, but... (laughs) But one thing, it's funny, I went back and I re-looked at that article, and it's almost like, you look at everybody else, it looks so professional... Us, it just looked like they just threw it together and be like, ah, oh, that's fair, fine enough. Yeah, and you can definitely see different writing styles. Like, I wasn't writing for audience, and that was a problem. Yeah, you were just trying to write, like, if you're writing for writing a blog, right? You weren't trying to write an article for Beer League Talk. Yeah, no, it was like, this is how I would write an academic paper. Oh, I'm not writing an academic paper. Oh, well. Yep. Turned out good, though. Turned out all right. Yeah, yeah. What I thought was funny is nobody picked Brady Kachuk, if you go back and look at it. That's right. Yeah, actually, nobody picked Brady Kachuk. I can't believe I picked Noah Dobson, to be honest with you. Because where did he go? In the middle of the first round? Yeah. Well, you didn't trade the first pick, if I remember correctly. No, I kept it, buddy, and I drafted a defenseman just because of the uncertainty of Eric Carlson's future, which turned out Mm. to be true. Sigh. Ugh. Well, what, what, you know what wasn't sad, Tim? The Calgary Stampede weekend when I came up to the tropical metropolis of Calgary. Yeah, and then we cranked out eight podcasts in three days. Yeah, eight episodes, man. And it's funny, when we later talked to the guys from Maple Syrup Shots, we were told them that, and they're just like, oh, shit, like, really? You guys did eight episodes in three days? And we're like, yeah. Well, I mean, there was Calgary Stampede in between. There was. There was, and, you know, there was me buying a big orange foam cowboy hat. Oh, remember when we saw that guy with the Alexander Keith hat? Yes, I totally wanted that. And by Keith's hat, I mean he turned, it was like a Keith 2-6 that he turned into a hat. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a beer box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, that is so cool. And, and also, you know. We Chelsea into a few of those episodes. Yes, we did. But you know what? I liked having Jealousy on those episodes because we got a third person's perspective on things. Yes. And it was also nice to have someone keep us honest in our game shows. Yeah. Surprisingly, she almost won. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, there's so many things I could talk about the Stampede weekend, like going up to the Hart House, going up the Calgary Tower. Unfortunately, we learned of the passing of Ray Emery, but... What I think what I will always remember most about that weekend was you, Chelsea, and I were downtown, and we walked by a Moxie's, and I just started laughing, like, hey, Tim, I bet you that's the restaurant that got Dougie Hamilton traded out of Calgary. Well, the best part about that one is it's kitty quarters from Crackback. Like, the sketchiest quarter store I've ever seen. 
it has a permanent Calgary, a permanent spot dedicated to the Calgary police. Because it just used to be so much drug and crime stuff. Yeah. Which it did, I mean, it looked, looked like it gotten cleaned up a little bit, but. Well, it's been cleaned up a lot, to be fair. Okay. And now it's, uh, Crystal K. We're, we're still working on the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Circle Map Crystal K. We're working on it. Yeah, Captain Cook. Yeah. Uh, speaking of beer league talk, in August we got a chance to interview Nick Fleehart. Now that was a really good time, and the one thing I always remember about that was that my computer crapped out on me. Yeah. Luckily, Nick was recording on his end too. I know, and that's why if you go back to listen to the episode, it sounds like you and I were talking through a tin can, and it sounded like Nick was. You could you could tell you could tell that he was the one recording it. Yeah, but goddamn, we're lucky. Yeah, and and we were also very lucky in August. We had our first episode that hit 100 listens, and that was our Hockey Hall of Fame wish list. Which is funny because I think that was like episode six out of eight that we recorded at the Stampede. Mm-hmm. It was about that, and I just remember that was one of the yeah because we did our uh, the Sens What If episodes to, at the end because those were the longer episodes to do. Mm-hmm. When we saw it hit. Both you and I are like, why is that episode all episode? I know, and we were just like, oh shit, what happened? Yeah. Did, did the Melnick bots get to it? I don't know, I'm just going to say that we're, we're a good podcast, and uh, it was good content, like uh, that sort of thing, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. But yeah. you know what wasn't good, Tim? New Tarps, Carlson Traded. Oh, that was a hard episode to do. And you know what? I will still release the notes for off my phone on our Twitter page about that episode because I had nothing written for that. I just had the bullet points of what I wanted to say, and I just spoke from the heart. Yeah, well, I remember, like, I was in Ottawa when it happened. So I was on an Ottawa business trip, and uh, I remember getting into Ottawa, getting some food, getting back to my hotel room, and then at, like, 9 p.m. on the Monday, the Borbieski Between Two Ferns video dropped. Yeah, that's an awkward video to watch. Like, holy shit, it is. And then I was like, what the fuck is this? And then uh, on the Thursday, he gets traded, and I'm on the way to the airport. That's right, because I was, I had just arrived at work, and that's when you sent me the message going, oh, no, oh, good God, no. Yeah, and uh, the return was uh, something else. Yeah, Tyranny, DeMello, uh, Belkers, Norris. Draft picks. Yeah. Uh, Windows dressing. But it is what it is, right? Pretty much. And, you know, and we've talked in the past that DeMello and, T- and Tierney have actually been pretty solid players for the Senators. They're not Eric Carlson, but they've been pretty solid. Better than nothing. Exactly. Now, one of the great things about doing this podcast has been the advice we've been given from Neil and Dave from Maple Syrup Shots, and we were able to return the favor... We brought him back for an exclusive interview on the show, and that was one of my all-time favorite episodes we've done, just because the content that they did, I almost knew it like the back of my head. I knew certain things that I don't think a lot of people would have picked up that they probably would have gotten, and to do the interview, I feel it was great to get some people within the MSS community to do the rapid-fire segment. I feel it was really great, and we got the final question at the end. I guess I just found it was, like, I don't really listen to podcasts, so it's a hard episode for me to get into. 
Mm-hmm. And I know you even mentioned on that episode that you don't listen to podcasts because you don't retain a lot of information verbally. Mm-hmm. Yes. I just like reading. <laughs> yeah. And also, we got to mention uh, Majors Mess Hall, the guys that we had reached out to for a rapid fire. They gave us a shout out on Twitter from the episode. Nice. Yeah. And you know what's also great, Tim, is October 8th, our second season officially started with Third Line Plug is War. Now, Third Line Plug is War, For after everything that we went through with Eugene Melnick, I thought that would be appropriate to do the whole season that way. After one episode, we were like, yeah, this is not going to work. Yeah. I think part of it is just, uh, I don't think I gave it the effort it needed, but, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? My energy level wasn't in it, to be honest with you. And even after one episode, I just went, this is not going to work. And you then suggested, why don't we just do it when the Battle of Ontario happens? Yeah. Yeah, which I think we'll have another one coming up soon, which... Hopefully it will help. It will, uh, and I've already started writing it up, so I'm very excited about it, Tim. Nice, nice. But it's also not the only thing to ever end up on the third line plugs cutting room floor. No, there's quite a few things, but the nice thing is that we're not stubborn enough that we have to shoehorn things into the episode, because we, we can hear it. We can tell if something's not working, and you and I communicate with each other being like, yeah, I don't think this is working. Yeah, I don't think it is either. Let's cut it. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. And then we appeared once again on the Three Ghosts No Wait, Four Ghosts podcast for their Eastern Conference episode. Now, unfortunately, you were unable to record that night because I believe Chelsea was doing a exam or something in the next couple of days, and yeah. you were just like, yeah, she she so, can't be awake. Yeah, and it was just run- we were running a bit too late. Yeah, and that was the second time of recording the segment because. Like our first segment here on this episode, we lost the audio. But I guess in his, in his, um, for him though, it just didn't record. Uh, yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. And like I said, uh, the episode, like the segment itself was recorded much earlier than the episode was released. It was released on the 21st of October. And you can tell because I think it was done just after the Sens leaves first meeting of the year where Thomas Shabbat had two goals. Mm-hmm. Where we thought maybe the season won't be too bad. Yeah. Good times, good times. And then we roll and and then we the roll into November bad. because for the first episode of November, you were actually away from Calgary. You didn't have your laptop. You were in Rochester, New York. Yeah. For White Sports National National Invitational. Mm-hmm. And to fill in for you as my co-host, I got Joseph St. Amour to fill in. And I remember that Joseph was really nervous coming into the episode because he had never done a podcast. So that's why I just tried to keep it very simple and straightforward so he's not going to get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think uh, once he kind of got into it, it went pretty well. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, one of the nice things about him is that, you know, you definitely got a different... Per, uh, different perception and an opinion from Joseph. But one of the nice things I feel is that I got him to yell hot Sam Bacho, and apparently <laughs> he got some shit from the wife about that. Dear. Yeah. Speaking of Joseph, the next week after he filled in, we had him on the show for an exclusive interview. And why don't we just go into it? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. You asked him about the hot I thought, seat. I thought it was going to be funny. 
Yeah, he just he was just like, what, what do you mean? And I'm just like, what the hell is he talking about? Let me give it to him. I don't know why. I don't, Honestly, I thought it was funnier than it probably was. Yeah, but you know what? That's like our show in a nutshell, right? There's some things that we think is funny or entertaining. It doesn't work out. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. For next time. Exactly. Slightly less of a jerk. Yeah, and now we roll into December 27th, which will be this week's episode. We had Trevor Shackles making his much-anticipated return to talk about the Sens' first half recap. Ooh, and that's going to be soon. That is going to be soon. So what do you think about Trevor's return, Tim? I thought that this was much better than his first time on the show, and I feel that I was much more comfortable, much more prepared. To talk Wait, are we talking about something before we do it? Yeah. Shit, that's meta. I know, it's like we can see into the future and stuff. Whoa. But, uh... <laughs> anyway, I think I'd rather let the fans... Well, the listeners build their own opinion before we go blabbing about it. That's fair, that's fair. So, Tim, before we head into a break, do you got anything you want to say to the fans? Uh, no, just... I've been... I think one of the coolest parts about 2018 is we started to get people actually interacting with the show over Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I really like that. So, uh, honestly, I just hope that uh, people are still listening. People uh, continue to interact with what we say here because that's the fun of the show is just putting our opinions out there and having people coming back telling us what they think. Mm-hmm. And, and, we, and we're going to have a really good 2019 ahead of us. So we've got some things planned. We won't talk about it now. Because I want it to be a surprise when it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Tim. I guess that wraps up our 2018 retrospective. Now we're going to take a really quick break here in the Third Line Plug Sensecast to return with our Ottawa Senators first half recap with Trevor Shackles. Coming right back. Hey, this is Joseph from Fourth Line Podcast, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Now, we got a special segment here for this week's episode. This is our Ottawa Senators first half recap. And, Tim, I'm very happy to say we got a special guest on the air to help us get through this. So, without further ado, we've got a former guest on the show and currently writing for Hockey Buzz and the host of Cosper Pointcast. Please welcome back, Trevor Shackles. Trevor, how's it going, sir? I'm good. Happy to be uh, back on the podcast. That's great to have you back, man. It's hard to believe that it's already been, what, six, six seven months? months? Yeah. About that? Yeah, I was looking on Skype. It said, uh, I think it was sometime in May. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, what, first Monday in May? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, Trevor, once again, we can't thank you enough for coming back on. Now, before we get into the segment we got to do, we got a bit of house cleaning house clean to do. So, for our podcast, we usually talk about a cover athlete. Now, this week's episode is Season 2, Episode 12. And if for all the people following chronological order, it's episode 40, the Patrick Laleem episode. So I just want to get your quick thoughts on Patrick Laleem. He's too young for that. No, not, you know, not, not really. I think he was, I mean, I, so I, the reason why I, I liked the senators was pretty much just when I was little, I think I just saw them on TV and I have pretty vivid memories of seeing Patrick Laleem in either the regular season or the playoffs for the senators. And I think I just, I probably, I don't know, liked the red on their jerseys. And I can definitely remember Laleem. So I, I always had a bit of a soft spot for him. Um, he was kind of like the first first player that I can really remember. And then I guess after that, it would have been Alfredson. 
Um, but yeah, I think he he definitely got a got a bad rap, and that's pretty much because of a few a few obviously bad goals in the playoffs. And I can't say that I can really remember those goals uh, specifically. I think I was a bit too young for that. Um, but yeah, I think he was. I mean, considering how many bad goalies the Senators have had, he's probably what the third best goalie if you if you want to include Hashik in there. So yeah, he was uh, he was definitely underappreciated. I think. I think so. And I mean, ultimately, I think as years go by, I think Patrick Lalim's name doesn't get mentioned as much anymore when you're talking about the best Sens goalies. And I personally would put him number two behind Craig Anderson, just because like after Anderson, he's the goalie that I would immediately think of when I think of the Senators. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, and it, it depends like if you, it's, I mean, how many games did Hashik play? Even like 40 something? I mean, after he got hurt. So it's, I like. I think Hashik's the best goalie of all time, but it, I don't know if he totally counts. So yeah, you could easily put him second as well. Yeah, I totally agree, Matt. Hashik was my favorite goalie growing up, so I totally mm-hmm. have to agree with you on that. And then it gets pretty sparse after that. Well, I yep. guess you have Ray Emery. <laughs> yeah, Emery Gerber, you know Mike Broker. <laughs> yeah, Tug Nut. So like we said, Trevor, we're going to do some house cleaning before we go to the segment. And since the last time we spoke, you have moved over from Silver 7 Sens to Hockey Buzz. So on behalf of Tim and myself, first of all, congratulations on that. And let's talk a little bit about that. How did that all come about? Did Hockey Buzz see some of your work and reach out to you? Or were you in talks with them about making the move over? I mean, in the back of my mind, I was always looking at maybe branching out. Um, it wasn't necessarily... I mean, Silver 7 Sens and SB Nation, they're a fantastic site and... Um, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily like looking to leave because I didn't like the site. I was just looking for maybe something different. And um, actually, a former Hockey Buzz employee actually reached out to me and said that um, he'd be willing to vouch for me if because there was a, an opening for, for the senator spot. Um, because I'm not sure exactly why Jared Crozier um, had to leave the site, but I think he just, you know, life and stuff. He didn't really have the time to, to keep writing about them. So, he left the site, and uh, there was an opening there. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think a few people applied for the spot for the senator's spot, and luckily, um, luckily, luckily, I was able to get that. And yeah, it's uh, it's something different, just because I uh, I can't remember how many blogs I'm supposed to do per week. I think it's like three or something. I usually end up doing about five, which is definitely a lot more than I would do at Silver Seven. I, I think I would do like two a week um, back there at SP Nation. But it's it's different because I'm the only Senators writer on the site, and you know I pretty much get to talk about everything. So I think that's it's definitely helped my writing abilities. Just having to talk about a whole plethora of of different things rather than just you know one kind of certain blog that I would or I would normally do maybe like two or three certain types of blogs at Silver Seven. Okay. Now another thing that has also happened since last we spoke is. You named Colin Cudmore your co-host for Cosper Pointcast. And I know I've been listening to Cosper Pointcast quite a bit recently, and I know that you've had a number of people as your guest host, including Micah Blake McCurdy. Um, sorry, I'm totally blanking on uh, <laughs> the lady's name. I think she was with That's What Schreider? She Said. Michaela Schreider, yeah. Thank you, yes. And I know Colin's been on the show a couple of times. So yep. I have to ask, what led to this decision of having Colin be your co-host? I mean, so, I mean, we started, or I started it in 2016 and um obviously i haven't had as many episodes as i'd like over that time but before before i even got it started when it was just an idea in my mind i always i always wanted there to be a co-host because i feel like it's it's a lot easier for i mean even for you guys like you can just 
Um, it, you don't have to think about getting a guest on because it, it was kind of stressful when, you know, there was like the Eric Carlson trade and then all of a sudden, okay, I have to get a guest and I, I want to get maybe someone new, maybe someone that I haven't necessarily talked to before. So I, w I have a list of people um, just in, in the notes app on my phone that, um, that I would want to interview. And that, I mean, there's, there's obviously only like a limited amount of people that you can talk to. So I think it's nice just having Colin there um, because we can sort of like record whenever, whenever something happens, um, we can, we can just talk about it. And I think sometimes we, in the future, we might bring on a third person, um, like, uh, you know, like, like an Ian Mendez or Travis Yost or something like that for, for a bigger, uh, bigger podcast. But yeah, I think just the ability to produce more content was an intriguing one and Colin seemed like a good option. So yeah. That's awesome because I know for Tim and I, it's really been. Would you? I think it's been pretty great having the two of us here, just because now neither of us have to go out and find another guest. Well, yeah. that and it's makes the banter easier, and you kind of know where episodes kind of go. So if you want to shake it up, you can always add in a bit of chaos, uh, by going against the grain a bit. Mm -hmm. Like when you were in Rochester and got Joseph Saint Amour on mm -hmm. the show. I think it also opens up for a lot more options too i mean i love just doing drafts for like really weird stuff so like we were this isn't really a draft but like on our last episode of colin and i were doing our wish list right so i mean i could have i could have done that with a guest too but like you guys said like you can get the banter going a bit more and and hopefully over time colin and i will will uh grow to have a uh, a closer relationship and and i hope that happens and i hope it seems more more conversational than like an interview so yeah nice mm -hmm. Now, when you were on last time, you said that nothing this team could do would surprise you this year. Do you stand by that statement? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Why not? I mean, what, what do you have in mind with, with that? Just the last six months have been uh, rather interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from that's... the Hoffman situation to right. Gate and everything It's pretty insane, the amount of stuff that's happened since, since May, right? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah, like that Hoffman stuff was in June. Randy Lee's arrest was also in June, uh, or maybe it was May. I can't remember. Um, that was June. No, that was June because the, no. Okay. No, I think it was in late May, early June yeah. because that would have been somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the Carlson trade, like the the Ubergate stuff. Um, Double lawsuits. Kind of falling through. Yeah, the lawsuits. So yeah, a lot of stuff has definitely happened, and um, yeah, I, I don't know why anything would surprise uh, anybody. Uh, at this point just it, it's a circus and and i'm pretty sure i probably said it was a circus in may and which is hilarious because it's gotten so much worse honestly though i just didn't see the double lawsuit coming <laughs> i saw le breton falling apart but not yeah. the lawsuit counter lawsuit then give us an arena please we'll give you the money letter <laughs> yeah that is a that is a weird situation um i I'm not gonna believe anything regarding ownership or a rink until it's until it actually happens. Like until they actually have the rink completed, I, I'm not gonna believe that. Or I'm not gonna get my hopes up. Really, I'll be cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I've gotten to that point too. Where even if I see even a rumor from, say, Elliot Friedman, I'm just like, yeah, we've been through this before. We're not. I'm not gonna believe yeah. it until I see it. Pretty much. Exactly. That's that's the right way to go with it. <laughs> exactly. Now that we've got all of our house cleaning done, 
Let's talk about the Senators because, and I think Jay Onright said the best on the Jay and Dan podcast, that the Senators were left for dead heading into the season by everybody. What were your your expectations for the Senators coming into this season, given all the off-ice drama that unfolded? And based on those expectations, has the team over or underachieved? I mean, I guess they've like slightly, if you want to look at just the standings, I guess they've slightly overperformed. Um, Off the top of my head, I don't know where they rank. I'm just looking it up right now. I think they're 14th, 15th in the East. Because I think okay. Jersey is the only team. So the 27th, 27th overall in the league. So that's uh, fifth last. And that's, I mean, that's that's pretty much where I thought they would be. I think they, I, I, don't, I didn't expect them to be necessarily bottom three, even if they are like a bottom three talent level team. Just with the, the randomness of the league, um, they, could, they could have realistically finished anywhere between 10th last and dead last. So... There's some there's some bad teams right now in the league, and um, yeah. Having said that, though, I think it, it's kind of sad. I mean, they have 34 points in 37 games, and to be truthful, I think they're due for some regression. I mean, they've been legitimately one of the worst possession teams since so what in the last 11 years, I think, or, or 12 years since um, since shot attempts were were um, really since they collected. started keeping track of that. And the only other team worse was the 14-15 Buffalo Sabres. So it's, I mean, they're getting out shot like by 10, 12 shots every single game. It's not really pretty. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but now Craig Anderson's out with a concussion. So yeah, I could I could see them falling even further, honestly. Mm-hmm. Unless, I mean, I know Mike McKenna has played reasonably well in the last several games that he's been in, but between yeah. him and Marcus Hogberg now coming up, I don't know how well they're going to be doing with that duo and I don't know how long Anderson's out for it's probably gonna be for a little while anyway with a concussion Mm -hmm. and then they've been shooting to the nuts as well so that's gotta come back to earth yeah for sure I mean they they it's weird because obviously they're one of the worst teams and so you could say they've had bad luck but like you said their their shooting percentage is pretty high so it's they've also had good luck as well and I think they're they're true talent for the team is definitely lower, especially once once Carlson was gone. Because even when Carlson was still in the team, people were projecting them to finish bottom three, bottom five. Yeah, just to, just based on the talent around them. Oh yeah, exactly. And lack thereof. Yeah. So one of the big storylines coming into the season was the UFA status of Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone, and Ryan Dezingle. Now, from what I understand, there hasn't been any official word from the team regarding contract negotiations with either Stone or Duchesne. Now, I understand that Stone can't be signed before New Year's Day, but I do understand that Matt Duchesne can. Now, do you feel that it's too early for fans to panic regarding this? And ultimately, do you see Stone and Duchesne on the team at the end of the season? I don't think it's ever too early to panic for something like this. I mean, it was valid to panic with Carlson a year ago in December when uh, when Friedman was reporting about um, the Senators asking for his his ten team no trade list. So, I mean, obviously, and then nine months later, whatever it was, look what happened. So, that this is even less uh, shorter timeline because we we only have until July first. So, I, you know, for for people asking like what what I think will happen with the three of them, it's so hard to say. If I had to guess, I would think that 
Dezingle is the most likely of those three to to resign just because he he's going to be the cheapest. But even he is going to be, um, you know, like maybe he's going to be asking for like five plus million. And for Duchesne and Stone, they're obviously a step above. I it's tough to say who. Obviously, Stone I think is the better player, better all around player, a lot better defensively, and I would way rather have him. But I wonder if he's fed up with the whole situation because I'm I'm sure that's why he signed the one-year deal because he knew that okay well if the situation gets any worse then I can just leave walk in free agency uh, whereas Duchesne seems like he does like the city and I'm sure Stone does too but yeah I don't know like perhaps Duchesne is more willing to stay having said that I if Stone is re-signed long term he's 100% going to be the captain and he deserves to be so if they lose any one of those three players, especially one of Stone and Duchesne, then that really sets the, the team back a year or two. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go and talk about these players individually. We'll start with Matt Duchesne because I feel he's been the best player on the Senators, not named Thomas Shabbat. And I know before his groin injury, he had 34 points in 29 games. He had instant chemistry with Drake Batherson, showing shades of Duchesne with Mike Hoffman last season. Now, with all that being said, did you see Matthew Shane picking up where he left off last season, or did you think he would have another slow start? I mean, I didn't. I definitely didn't expect him to have 36 points in 31 games, which is what he has right now. And he, pretty much since, I'm pretty sure the, the cutoff point when he started playing really well last year was January 3rd. So it's almost been a calendar year since he's been over a point-a-game player, which is incredible. So I definitely didn't expect him to continue that pace at all. I think... For most of his career, he's pretty much been like a 60-point player, which, uh, sorry, with, um, you know, he's gotten 70 points once, and he's also been lower. He's been in like the 40s before. So it's, yeah, I definitely didn't expect him to be this good, especially without Carlson here. But Shabbat has obviously stepped up his game and, and been that offensive defenseman that they need. So, yeah, I, I can't say that I expected him to be this good, and nor, nor do I expect him to be, this good moving forward but at the same time obviously you still want to re-sign him because he's a damn good player and he's, he's a first line center absolutely and with the question marks of how long it's going to be until somebody like a logan brown comes up to the team and i know that colin white has really stepped his game up but we'll talk about him in a little bit uh next player i want to talk about is mark stone because it seems like over the last six seasons the senators have gone from being alfredson's team to carlson's team and now it appears that it's mark stone's team and I know that he has consistently been putting up points this season, and he has really gelled with Colin White and Brady Tkachuk. So I got to ask, what expectations did you have for Stone, and how much do you think pairing him with Tkachuk and White has contributed to the success in the first half? I mean, last year he he was over a point a game player. I think he, you know, if, if he played the entire season, if he played eighty two games, I think he probably would have gotten over eighty two points. Um, and before that, he had been a pretty consistent 60 to 65 point player, and I think I think I expected him to maybe hit that 70 70 point range, but he's he's definitely surpassed that. Um, and I think that it's definitely more of a. I mean, Kachuk and White have been fantastic; they've been great players too. But I think it's more of a those two guys are definitely benefiting from playing with Stone more than the other way around. Um, and it, there's part of it that's a reciprocal relationship there. But, yeah, I think that 
Stone can pretty much play with anyone. I mean, he showed that. He's, he's played with Pajot. He's played with Smith. And both of those guys have looked fantastic when they've been with him. And also one, one important thing to, to note, too, is that goalie save percentage is way down this year. I think the league save percentage was like 907, 908 or something like that. So obviously, like, 40 points that he has right now is incredibly impressive. Um, we do need to contextualize it a bit because if you compare it to a few years ago, that number would probably be, be you know, lower in the 30s. Um, but at the same time, that's still incredibly impressive. And, I mean, moving forward, I, I don't know why we should expect anything less than a point a game or, or maybe 75 points in a season. And that's that's incredible. Yeah, I really hope that the team can keep the, the Chuck White stone line together because even on the third line plug says cast, I constantly bring up that line saying in every game going, this is the best line and this is one yeah. of the few things and one of the few decisions that Guy Boucher has made putting the three of them together, which I have wholeheartedly agreed with. The third player I want to talk about is Ryan Dezingle, and for me, this is a wild card if he goes to the free agency, just because I don't think a lot of people or a lot of hockey fans really know who Ryan Dezingle is and how good of a player he can be, and I know that he got off to a slow start this season, but he was able to get his game going. I feel he's been a really solid player for the Sens, especially on the third line, and given that Dezingle is, like you said, it's going to be the cheapest option out of the three, do you see... Do you think the team will give him an extension, or do you feel that Ottawa will cut him loose this summer? I don't. I think they would. I mean, okay, it, if Duchesne or Stone go, obviously they're going to get crucified. But I feel like they're also going to get crucified, and rightfully so, if they let Dezingle go, just because he's like like we've been saying, he, he's the cheaper option. He's still twenty six years old. He'll be twenty seven in, in twenty nineteen. So. I don't think he's going to he's not going to ask for like an 8-year contract extension, but I think it's perfectly fair to give him, you know, maybe 4 or 5 years. Um, I'm sure he'll be asking for 5 or 6 and I I think I'd be perfectly fine with giving him 5. Um, so yeah, I, I think like he's he's proven himself to at bare minimum be a top 6 left winger and you know, maybe there's an even a chance that he's he's a, a first line guy moving forward. So It'll be interesting to see what he asks for because I think going into the season, I'm sure people were expecting somewhere in the threes, maybe low fours. But with the way he's going, he's definitely going to be making, I don't know, maybe over five, five and a half, somewhere in that range. And I, I think I would pay that um, for him. And there's, there's really no excuse for Ottawa not paying that just because they're going to have so much money coming off the books in the next, uh, I mean, next year and the year after that as well. Yeah, but the thing is, even with all this money coming off the books, we have all know about Eugene Melnick's financial woes, and yeah. I don't see Ryan Dezingle myself getting 5 mil. I would say maybe 4, in the, in the 4 million area. I would be really comfortable with that, but if you give him 5 mil and a long-term extension, then what happens if he gets injured or his play regresses, and then we're stuck with that contract, right? You mean Bobby Ryan? Yeah, like Bobby Ryan. That's fair, but, I mean, Dezingle's also... He's not Bobby Ryan in the fact that he's just so damn fast that I feel like his game is going to at least age a bit more gracefully, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I guess the other thing with money is they have to get to the floor, and the the floor went up again. Yeah. So it's like, as much as we like to make fun of Eugene Melnick being at the poor door, uh, you still got to pay to play. Yeah, I mean, you got they're they're gonna have to pay, pay somebody, and you might as well pay your best player. And not marrying Gabrick. Exactly, he still exists. <laughs> yep, he still exists, guys. 
So let's switch gears here. Let's talk about the young guns, and we'll start off with... I'm not even going to lie to you. The best young gun we have in Thomas Shabbat. Because, and I knew with the departure of Eric Carlson, Thomas Shabbat was going to take on a bigger role. I don't think any of us could have seen the production that we've gotten out of him this season. Because Shabbat went from a guy who... I think a lot of people were like, eh, okay, I don't know how he's going to do with this bigger role to now being top three and scoring by defenseman, and he was leading for a while. But one thing I was really impressed with Shabbat, he looks like a seasoned veteran even at the age of 21. So the ultimate question I got to ask is, what expectations did you have for Shabbat coming into the season, and could you ever have imagined we would have seen this production out of him so far? Yeah, I mean, going into the season, I think last year – he, he looked really solid when he was paired with Carlson, but at the same time, you kind of think, well, I mean, how much is that impact is Carlson making on him? So I thought that he, he played like, like a top four defenseman last year, which was definitely encouraging. That's exactly what they needed. But I was cautiously optimistic that he was going to be, you know, a solid player moving forward. He had 25 points in 63 games. It was, it was solid. It was, it was definitely exciting, but there's no way I thought he was going to be a point-of-game defenseman almost halfway through the season. And he just looks so much more poised and so much more electric when he's when he's out there. Whenever he gets the puck, it's almost like we're watching Carlson again. And it's funny, actually. I, I pointed out in, in my blog, uh, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, and I, I was saying that Carlson's first Norris season came when he... He, he, he turned 22 when he won that Norris, and he had 78 points that season. This is Shabbat's age 22 season, and he has a point a game uh, through 37 games. So it's it's kind of funny, the parallels. I wonder if he is going to get all the way to 78 or maybe even to 82 points. Um, so that, that it's just it's just kind of funny that the, the first season that Carlson leaves, Shabbat is essentially replacing his production. I don't think he's there yet just because the larger sample size says that Carlson is amazing and Shabbat's still young, but it's exciting to think about how he's going to be getting better. He's going to get better on defense. I don't, it, it's hard to imagine him getting better on offense, but he'll, he'll be a lot better, a lot better well-rounded moving forward, which is, that's really exciting. Yeah, and I've been telling people for ages, even since the season started, I said, you know, because I know a lot of the attention has been on Elias Peterson in Vancouver, and I think he ultimately could win Rookie of the Year unless somebody really steps their game up and overtakes him. But Shabbat's been one of those guys that, you know, and I was, like you said, I was very cautious about him coming into the season because he's not paired with Carlson anymore. He's the number one guy at the age of 21, and I think my, my doubts and my... You know, I was just like, okay, you know, now that he looks good. I've been telling people that for ages. I said, you got to watch this guy because he's incredible. And I know Tim will probably give me the look here, but I've always mentioned I took him in my fantasy hockey <laughs> draft. <laughs> Nobody knew who this guy was. And I says, you watch, he's going to be my sleeper. I mean, man, I, I feel so bad because my, my fantasy team name is like not too shabby with like, like C-H-A-B-B-Y. I didn't even take him because I, I wasn't – I mean, I liked him, but I didn't think he was going to be getting even 45 or 50 points. So, man, I, I definitely should have taken him in the later rounds. I know. I took him in the mid-rounds, and that's why I named my team Hot Chan Bacho. Damn. Yes, well, that I guess too. the hard yeah. thing, too, is he looks so much better by comparison because the rest of the Ottawa defense corps is... Uh... <laughs> hot garbage. I was looking for a nice way to say that. There is no <laughs> nice way of saying it. It's just hot garbage. 
So we got to go over and talk about the Senators' first-round draft pick from this past draft, and that is Brady Tuchuk. And I know the Sens' Twitter was highly critical of his selection at four over Philip Sedina, including yourself on Cosper Pointcast draft episode, as we were on ours. Tuchuk has really grown into a fan favorite, and he's been a real spark on the team whose presence is felt when he's not in the lineup. I just love him because he gets in people's faces. He's really that agitator kind of style of a player that we haven't had in a long time. And generally, he's in the right spot for scoring chances. Now, with all this being said, do you feel it's safe to say that fans have bought full all-in on Dechakamania? Yeah, I'd say so, and I think that'd be valid, too. I mean, uh, going into the draft and after the draft as well, my, my position was always that I didn't want him taken at four, but I didn't necessarily think he was a bad prospect. Like, I always thought he was, you know... I thought he would would have been a good pick in maybe the ten to fifteen range, and I just thought that Zadina had a had a higher ceiling. And I I love Zadina too, but it's it's really exciting seeing how good Kachuk has been, especially in his rookie season. I mean, just like Shabbat, he's also um, he's going to get better in the coming years. And like you mentioned, he is one of those rare players that is always in front of the net. He always is getting in front of the goalie's face, battling with the other defenseman. You know, he, he's young, but he's he's able to to get his body in the right spots. And the only reason I know this stat is because I, I wrote about this recently too, is he he ranked eighth in the entire league um, in, what was it? I think it was individual high danger shot attempts, like as a, as a rate stat. So essentially meaning that if ice time is equal, he's getting one of the highest amounts of high danger scoring chances right close to the net so he's always shooting 10 feet from the net or whatever and that's obviously going to lead to a lot more goals and yeah I, I can't really remember I can't put a name to a senator's player that had an ability to do that besides maybe I mean you can think of like someone like Chris Neal but he didn't nearly have the, the same skill level that Kachuk has so it's I mean he, he's a first line player in his rookie season and that's that's definitely something to build around. Mm-hmm. And definitely his personality seems more inclined to what Pierre Dorian is trying to build in Ottawa. And I know that he has stated that he wants guys who buy into the team first mentality. And I know that Philip Sedina, after he getting drafted, that he said that Montreal and Ottawa are going to regret not drafting him and he's going to put all the pucks in the net. So how much do you think of Dechuk's drafting over Sedina was... Dorian saying, hey, we want a guy who's team first and not all about the individual. Yeah, I feel like that's probably part of it. I I mean, to me, that always seems like an asinine reason just because, I mean, how much do they really know about Kachuk and especially Zadina? I mean, especially if they only interviewed them one or maybe a handful of times. But I, and sorry, also like at the time, that was, that was you know, a few weeks after all the Monica Carrick stuff had come um have been talked about regarding Hoffman and Carlson. So it seemed like a huge overreaction to wanting to fix the dressing room. And that's, I think, also why a lot of people didn't like the pick just because of that reason. It was like, oh, we're picking this guy because he's good in the dressing room. And I think they probably did that because uh, they probably picked him, A, because he was good in the dressing room, but also B, because they thought he was going to be a really skilled player. And that definitely it's looking like a good pick right now and um yeah i I hope that they weren't persuaded too much just by his you know his personality Mm -hmm. 
So I want to move over and talk about Max Lejoie because I can't recall if... Did he even have any buzz heading into the preseason, Tim, that you remember? Not really. Yeah, because I remember even when he won himself a spot opening night, he didn't really have a lot of buzz, and then they come to the season, he has a hot start until, you know, until he got anchored to Sense Twitter's favorite son, Cody Cece. Overall, I feel like Lejoie has been a largely a hit-and-miss player for me, especially on the defensive side of the puck, where I just watch him like, wow, I, I can't believe this guy's in the NHL. Now, how much do you put... Lejoie's cooling off to being partners with Cody Cece. I mean a lot. Like it's 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 really hard to analyze how good of a defenseman he is because I he's been paired with Cece for so long and I just can't I really can't analyze you know his his shot metrics and stuff like that because Cece you know he's always going to be one of the one of the worst on the team in terms of shot rates. So well, worse than the uh, league. Yeah, worse than the league exactly. So. It's it's really hard to say. I I have always been a fan of Lejoie, even even uh, once they drafted him two and a half years ago, and I still think he can be a solid defenseman. But yeah, it's it's hard to evaluate him right now. Um, he definitely has the offensive ability, but like you said, he really cooled off after those first five six games or whatever it was. But moving forward, I think it's it's really exciting that Ottawa pretty much they have Shabbat cemented on the first pairing on the left side, and then. Two of you could, or well, you could have uh, either Lejoie or Christian Willanen on the left side on the second pairing, and then the other on the third pairing. And funnily enough, I I honestly think that Willanen is better right now, and I think better moving forward because I definitely had him ranked as a higher prospect coming into the season. Willanen, that is. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of would like to see what he can do, um, but at the same time, I still want Lejoie in the lineup over someone like Ben Harper or Mark Borowiecki. Yeah, I guess the other thing that's interesting about Lejoie is I wonder how much of the cooling off for poor defensive play also comes down to uh, a system that just doesn't seem to work anymore. And yeah, that, no, that's, that's fair. Yeah, and that's starting. Like, you can watch players move the puck hesitantly and very predictably, and that's probably murdering his shot shares, especially when you have he's playing with a guy who doesn't know that the other side of the ex- ice exists. <laughs> that's very true. So let's close out the young guns, and let's talk about Drake Batherson, because next to Alex Formanton, it appeared that Drake would be the next young gun to make a huge impact on the big club. However, I don't think a lot of people could have seen Batherson being more impactful than Formanton. And I know that he was immediately paired with Matt Duchesne. And like I said, he found instant success with shades of Hawk and Duchesne. However, with Matt Duchesne going out with his groin injury, Batherson was a very much a non-factor and looked like he was almost lost out there. So do you agree with the team sending him down or do you feel that they should have waited until Duchesne returned from injury? No, I don't mind seeing, them, seeing him being sent down. And I think <clears throat> Batherson's had a weird career in the center's organization because when he was first selected it was I mean obviously he was selected in the fourth round so anything at that point is going to be a crapshoot but it seemed like a weird pick because he was a 19 year old who had never had a point per game in the queue and and then last year obviously he exploded onto the scene and played fantastically for Team Canada Um, so I was cautiously optimistic after last season and coming to this year I just I just, you know, wanted to see what he could do in the AHL. And once he started ripping it up there after the first dozen to 15 games, 
I thought, okay, they, they need to call this guy out because he's just tearing it up. He, he's too good for that league. And then he looked fantastic in the first few games too, and I thought he was going to stay. Um, but like you said, Duchesne went out and he just looked kind of lost. He he also had, it was like 32 or something, 33% shot share, and that's just, I mean, you can be as skilled as, as uh, you know, you can be incredibly skilled, but if you're if you're on the ice for a third of the shots a third of the shots for that is that's just that's just not going to cut it and um i don't mind seeing them send him down get some confidence back put up some points and then come back and and see what it can do in the second half of the season um but i still think that he's going to be a solid top six forward i mean it's you you would rarely see a guy be that good in the ahl as a 20 year old and then just not become anything in the nhl Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about Chris Tanieri and Dylan DeMello, because with Carlson being shipped off to San Jose, they were the two big noted pieces coming back, and I know that they were largely seen as being depth players at best during their time in San Jose. DeMello, I feel, has played decently, but has his moments of poor play. Tierney has been a nice surprise, fitting in nicely as a third-line center, and I know he's been used more as a shutdown guy than an offensive guy. So how do you feel about DeMello and Tierney's time so far in Ottawa? I mean, I think they're good depth pieces. Um, obviously, with the right side on defense being incredibly thin, DeMello is easily the, the best amongst those options. I, he's probably the second best defenseman on the team right now, which, I mean, that, that just kind of says a lot about, about the Senators' defense. Um, I think he's still... He, he was a third-pairing defenseman in San Jose. I think he's probably like a like a four or maybe like a f- number five um, on on most teams or or like on on a good team. Um, but you know that's that has value. Like everyone is always looking for a second pairing defenseman or a puck moving second defenseman, and he isn't really that offensive. He only has eight points, but I think he is actually a good complement to Shabbat. And sort of in a, in a similar way, he's almost like a right-handed Mark Mathot that Carlson had uh, on the left side. So I think it's it's an interesting combination, and um, they would still need someone someone below him on the second pairing instead of CeCe. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's played decently well. And then Tierney, uh, like you mentioned, he's he's had some success. He's 22 points this year, only four goals, So, but a lot of assists. Um, I don't think that's going to keep up. I'm sure he'll surpasses career high of 40 points which came last year but you know he's he's kind of a similar he's going to produce similar numbers to Jean-Gabriel Pajot I feel like they're kind of interchangeable on the third line as as centers so it'll be kind of interesting to see what they do because down the middle if they keep Duchesne they got Duchesne White on the second line and then Tierney and Pajot but then I'm sure they'll also be looking for spots for someone like Logan Brown or maybe even Schlopik at center. So, um, yeah, I, I think Tierney's kind of like a Pajot in that sense, um, at least offensive-wise. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect his offensive production to be quite this good just because he has been playing with some guys like, um, like Shabbat and, and Stone or whoever that have given him a lot of assists. 
Mm-hmm. One guy who seemed to, for me anyway, that's gone really under the radar has been Michael Bodker. And I know that given all the headlines and buzz that the Carlson trade made in the hockey media and on Sen's Twitter, it seems like the Bodker for Hoffman trade has really become yesterday's news. And Bodker, like Tierney, has been used more as a shutdown forward in the bottom six, and as a result, his stats have been reasonably low. So I gotta ask, what expectations do you have for Bo Decker, and did you see him being used more as a shutdown forward? Oh man, I mean, if he is being used as, as a shutdown forward, he hasn't done that great of a job. Like, no, I don't he, feel he has at all. Yeah, I mean, Bodker's always like an interesting player, but he's he's really just a. a bottom six guy I mean more of a third liner I guess and he, you know he's he's done decently well he's on pace for I think like 45 points um but at the same time it's it's hard to it it, it is weird like you said it, it's sort of like yesterday's news this this Hoffman trade but at the same time I mean man like Hoffman has almost a point per game this year with Florida he's done fantastically well so it's it just sucks thinking about what they could have could have had with Hoffman here um but, I mean, obviously I understood why that trade had to be made, or a trade at least had to be made. Um, but, yeah, I, I I mean, I hate bringing up just straight-up possession stats again. Bodker definitely has done that well, and obviously some of that is to do with playing like guys like Pied and Pyarvi and whoever. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's kind of always just been a depth guy that's just there, and it's crazy to me that he's only 28 years old still. Um, well, actually, sorry, no, he's, yeah, he's only 28, yeah, um, which is kind of insane, but, yeah, I don't know, he's, I, I don't really have a strong opinion on him either way, and, yeah, it's a bit disappointing that Ottawa couldn't have at least got, you know, a, a good draft pick along with him or something, because, obviously, it was a pretty big downgrade from a 65, 60-point player with Hoffman to, down to Bodker. I agree, but, you know, given the situation of what happened between Hoffman and Carlson, they really didn't have a choice. They had to move him yeah, they quickly, had to move and him. that's why, as a result, they didn't get a really good draft pick out of him. Yeah, it, it just sucks. Though, like, team. I mean, San Jose got that, what was it, a second and a third? And I, I honestly would have rather had that just because, I mean, that at least, you at least get two two extra prospects out of that, and then they could have signed someone for, you know, two million or whatever in in free agency Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about craig anderson because like the team itself anderson didn't have a great year last year and i personally feel that anderson has actually played better than what the advanced analytics or the more fancy stats would suggest given the team that has played in front of him now do you agree with this statement or do you feel that the numbers are in black and white regarding his play i mean it's obviously like he's faced the most shots in the league by far and especially if you look at on a on a per game basis um it's just incredible how many a how many shots he's faced but b how many games he's had to play uh so i think like obviously his his save percentage is can only go so high and it's at 905 right now and thinking about what i you know what i had said earlier about the league save percentage i think it's at like 908 um that's actually not that bad and I forget exactly where he stands on there's one stat like goal saved above average I forget if he's maybe like slightly positive or slightly negative but um, yeah I mean I I would agree that he's he's had some really good games obviously he's he's still showing his age just like he was last year 
but he's been a lot better, obviously, than McKenna and Condon. So um, without him, and they'll be without him for, for a bit here with his concussion, without him, uh, yeah, things get dicey. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know I even mentioned that on the show about even when we talk about the games, and I always mention, you know, Craig Anderson didn't play as bad as maybe his stats suggest. And even Tim's looking at me like, really? And he just brings up all the fancy analytics and stuff all about it. Yeah, the hard thing with that, if you just look at Anderson's raw save percentage, you're missing the fact that about half the shots he faces are high danger shots, which are going to push down your yep. save percentage mechanically because sure. you're just facing god-awful 10 alarm bell saves so like Anderson still has a fairly high high danger save percentage but it's he faces so many of those that it really tanks his save percentage vis-a-vis uh goaltenders who have more stand more standard or actually say real defense in front of them yeah I mean it's hard to it's hard to fault a guy for uh, not being able to stop a backdoor pass that, you know, it's a wide open net and there's no one covering him. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about Guy Boucher. And we all knew that given the year Ottawa had last year, Boucher was on thin ice, which led him to say that he would change his style heading into this season. And so far, like, we're halfway through the season and not much has changed. He's constantly juggling of the Lions. His over-reliance on players like Tom Pyatt have been met with mass criticism by the fans. Are you at all surprised by the fact he really hasn't changed the style, or do you feel that the team will ax him if the team bottoms out again? Well, I will say that he's at least been willing to play the younger players more often than last year, and, and last year that was incredibly frustrating, not not being able to you know have, have hope for, for more ice time for guys like Shabbat and White and Shlopik and all those guys. Um, so that's at least something a bit better, and... I'm definitely not surprised that he hasn't been fired yet just because it's, I mean, it's a lot easier to to find a coach in the offseason. I guess if they did want to fire Boucher, they would just put Mark Crawford as the interim. But, I, I mean, I wouldn't want him as, as the full-time head coach. Um, but he's also, he signed a three-year contract when he first came to Ottawa. So this is his last season. So I'm fairly confident that once the season ends, they're just not going to renew his contract and you know let him at least have a, a graceful exit i guess or as graceful as one could have so yeah i i'd be pretty shocked if he was back for next season and at the same time i'd also be surprised if he was fired in the next few months because i mean that's really not going to do very much mm-hmm. now say Boucher doesn't get re-signed as the sense head coach do you see mark crawford then being promoted to head coach or do you see the senators looking outward to see if they can find a new head coach i mean i hope they don't do that but yeah it could that's definitely a real possibility um i mean one one name i had brought up a few times that i think would be an interesting candidate although i'm not you know i can't 100 percent vouch for him because i don't totally know everything about him but as uh toronto marley's coach sheldon keith and he's he's had a ton of success with the marley's there so he hasn't gotten an, an opportunity in the NHL. I don't know if he'd be willing to even come up to, to Ottawa, even though it, it is an NHL job. Um, but yeah, so, someone that is at least willing to willing to think innovatively. Um, and I just, I, I don't know if, if Crawford can do that. And 
but Trevor, but if you're asking don't me, you like the innovation of having seven defensemen instead of six wow. defensemen. That's innovation. the innovation of having Justin Falk on on D. Yeah, <laughs> fancy. I wouldn't know. I would not like that. But to answer your question, I could easily see that happening. Okay. Uh, to close out this segment, and this is actually a guy I totally forgot to mention during the Young Guns is Colin White, and I'll be the first to admit, I have never been the biggest Colin White fan because I watch him and I'm just like, okay, something's not there, something's not connecting for me. And he's really stepped his game up with the injury to Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and especially since he began centering the line with Stone and Chuck. Now, given the bigger role given to White, what kind of expectation did you have for him heading into the season? Yeah, sort of like with Shabbat, I was... I wasn't expecting too much. I've been up and down on him throughout his career, sort of. After his first season in college, he was phenomenal, and I was I was really high on him. And then coming into this year, I mean, last year he didn't he didn't look like that great, like you had said. So I, I was sort of hoping that he could at least you know be an NHL player, at least be a third line center, something like that. Um, but right now, I mean, he's producing like a second line player. He's He's on po- on pace, I think, for 50 points or, or maybe you know 48, 49, somewhere around there, and he just looks like a different player. He looks, he added more speed, which is crazy to do, even even though you're young. Like that's still that's a hard thing to do. And he looks much more creative in the offensive zone. He looks like he can actually be a dangerous threat, and that is something that Ottawa really needed. They really needed a center to step up, and he has, and that's that's definitely exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Trevor, I guess that wraps up the segment. Now, before we let you go for another night, um, Cosper Pointcast, you can still find them on, I believe, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher? Stitcher, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, and you can also you can still find you on Twitter at ShaqTS, correct? Yes, you can follow me there. <laughs> okay, and uh, how can the people follow you if they want to check out your work with HockeyBuzz? Uh, yeah, just HockeyBuzz.com. Um, um, on the homepage, there's going to be you know one blog from every for every team. Um, so you'll you'll see the red Ottawa Senators logo, and um, yeah, you you can't miss it. There should be a Senators logo at the top of the page too, so you can click on those and you can see all my articles from the past. Uh, I think like there's the past twenty articles that it'll it'll show. So yeah, you can find me there. Nice. Now before we go, Trevor, can we get a little hot Sam Bacho? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I think that's your cue to yell hot Sam Bacho. (laughs) Like, am I supposed to imitate Dean Brown or what? Yes. Hot Sam Bacho. Awesome. Thank you, Trevor. Thanks, guys. All right. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Hey, this is Trevor Shackles of Cosper Pointcast. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Once again, we would like to thank Trevor Shackles for taking some time out of his schedule to join us for our Ottawa Senators first half recap segment. Now, Tim, do you know what time it is? Ooh, time for a really good segment that we like to call Top of the Second Hour. Good segment, Tim. <laughs> so, unfortunately, we got to start off with a death. 
You know how I feel about that. I hate starting top of the hour with, or top of the second hour, I guess. If, <laughs> if I'm going to be a little shit. Pretty much, yeah. Longtime NHL referee Dave Newell passed away at age 73. Newell worked 23 seasons in the NHL from 1967 until his retirement in 1990, refing 1,169 regular season games and 106 playoff games while serving as president of the NHL Officials Associations for nine seasons. That's an insane career for an official. Like, holy shit. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that the one thing I remember of Dave Newell was that, and I grew up watching the Don Cherry Rock'em Sock'em videos every year for Christmas, and I think it was in Rock'em Sock'em 8, where Don, in the Montreal Forum, because the Montreal Forum had closed down, yep. and so he's talking about his memories, and he's talking about 1979 when he was the coach of the Boston Bruins, the too many men on the ice. Yeah. Dave Newell was the referee for that game. Oh, wow. So, he, like, he was doing big games. Yep. And it's funny that season that the Montreal Canadiens, after a goal, they would all come off the bench to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And Cherry's brother suggested that when the first goal goes against Cheevers, both teams go off the bench, including the Bruins. <laughs> and David Newell says, great, you can't do that. And he flat out said, well, if you're letting him do it, my guys are going on too. Mm-hmm. And the next year they put the rule in that you can't do that after a goal. Makes sense. Yep. So we're going to give a big congrats to Montreal Canadiens goalie Carey Price on becoming the second winningest goalie in Montreal Canadiens history with his 300th victory. Price is 14 wins behind Jacques Plante for all-time winningest Canadiens goalie. I'm not going to lie to him. I'm really shocked that the Montreal Canadiens goalie is 314 wins. Given how long, yeah. how big of a history they have. But at the same time, like, you didn't have that many games until, like, the 70s or 80s. Yeah. So and, it's not that surprising. Yeah, and I get, you know, and not every team's going to be like New Jersey where you have Mark Tambrodeur. And then on top of that, goalies aren't playing every game. Yeah, that's true. But still, right, when you think about the, the legacy and the history of the Montreal Canadiens, the fact that a goalie has only won 314 games yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Well, I guess they also drive their goalies out of town. Only if they're... Yeah, Patrick Watt. I was going to say, only if they're French-Canadian, but I was like, oh yeah, that's right, because Patrick Watt. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm never playing another game for you. Yep. And then he didn't. <laughs> and then he got his number retired. Magic. Yeah. Legendary Buffalo Sabres broadcaster Rick Jenneret was carried off out of the Key Bank Center on a stretcher following suffering some type of episode. Jenneret has been working a reduced schedule with the Sabres following his battle with throat cancer four seasons ago. It's a shame because he's, he's really good at calling games. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. And for me... Even though I'm not a Sabres fan, he is probably one of my all-time favorite announcers. And I was just talking to you before we hit record, and I said if Rick Jenneret unfortunately passes away in the next episode, we have a clip to remember him for. Yeah, and I think it's one that Sanders fans will well remember, or at least the TSN side of it. Yeah. Unless, you know, you're living in Buffalo and you heard his call. Okay, Adam. <laughs> well, Niagara. Yeah, Niagara. Well, Wellen, I guess. Yeah, same area. Yeah. Tim, did you know that the Toronto Maple Leafs last Stanley Cup victory was in 1967? Huh. No, I didn't. Well, in maybe 11, 12 years, nobody will ever know that. Because what? the Hockey Hall of Fame announced the band featuring the Stanley Cup champions from 1953 to 1965 are officially being removed from the Stanley Cup which has caused great concern for Toronto Maple Leafs fans 
as every cup victory except for 1967 will be officially removed from the cup, which will be removed in 2030 with the band for the winners from 1966 to 1978. Don't they just put those in a different part of the hall, though? I think so, but it's not on the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but I mean, it was once the Stanley Cup, so I, like, I get it that it's funny that when they're parading around the cup, the Leafs, only one Leaf Stanley Cup will be on there. Yep. Like, actually, is the Ottawa win engraved on the cup itself? I or? think it's on the bowl. I think it's engraved oh, on the bowl. so it'll never leave. So that's actually really funny. Yep. But I don't think it means anything. It doesn't, but you know what? I read that story and I was like, I gotta get Tim's thoughts on this. It's funny? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, you know what's not funny, Tim? Evander Kane finding himself back in the news after his legal representation in the lawsuit filed against him back in November by an unnamed woman who claimed Kane refused to pay up for a third abortion. What? Jesus. Yeah. From what I understand and from what I read, the representation is doing this to try and get this woman's name exposed because she is doing this anonymously because uh, she doesn't want to okay. bring attention to herself yeah. and this is her the legal team's way of trying to force her name out there. Yeah, and it's interesting because you can see the argument going that this is a form of intentional intimidation, mm -hmm. but you can also see it as the rights of the defendant to know the accused. Exactly. And with athlete, I don't know, it's just, this whole story is fucking weird. Yeah, well, it's not as weird as our next story. Philadelphia Flyers forward. Oh, God. I totally forgot to write his name in here. Oh, Lathera? Yeah, Lathera <laughs> has been in charge with his involvement in a massive cocaine smuggling ring in his native Finland. Lathera was arrested this past offseason for allegedly facilitating drug trade in Finland and has maintained his innocence while no charges were laid. It's safe to say he was in love with the cocoa. Damn. You mean he was on the cocoa train? Yep. He, he, uh, Rided them, rided the white rails. All the white stuff. Damn. But you know what's funny? This you reminds me a lot of the... powder. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you trying to tell me that's not ice shaving on his blade of escape? I mean, that'd be a great way to import and export it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, what, what's on the escape? Oh, I just forgot to wave it off. That's, uh, the ammonium from the ice, ice you're seeing. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't question it. Don't question it. No need to, uh, get the dogs out. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that this reminds me a lot of the story of, um, God, who's the guy from the Detroit Red Wings last season who got arrested on that airplane because he had cocaine on him? I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, uh, funny, though. God, this is going to drive me nuts because I can think of his name right now, but I can't think, think of it right now. Was it Mike Green? No. No. I guess it'd be funnier. No, because he was... played. He was the guy who scored the goal against on himself when Dallas played Ottawa. Oh, fuck! I know who you're talking about. Uh, I don't. Is it Trevor? Di no, it wasn't Trevor. Di uh, Philippa or whatever. I oh, Phil Peel? Maybe. I think it was him. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So yeah, this story reminds me a lot of that. And what is it about hockey players and cocaine again? Maybe is it, it's cool. Yeah. Is this the 1980s all over? Yeah, again? coke's cool. I guess. Yeah. Ooh, what's this next one? Former Boston Bruins draft pick Maxime Suave announced his retirement at age 28 after suffering two devastating concussions in just a month. Oh, Jesus. Suave only played in one game for Boston before being traded to Chicago and later spending his career 
in the minors. Yeah, those head hits are going to kill you. Yep. And uh, hopefully we'll see the DP, DOPS crack down in a more consistent way on them. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I know you and Dan Carcello has done his online crusade against head injuries. Mm-hmm. And I know this is another story of that. I think he commented on it too. You can't quote me on that, but I think he's also commented on it. So Yeah, but then again, I always find that one kind of funny where Dan Carcillo was known for that type of shit. Yeah. Now it now that he's away from it, it's easy enough to commentate on. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. St. Louis Blues have re-signed Robert Bertuzzo to a three-year contract worth 4.125 with an AAV 1.375. Bertuzzo recorded one goal, two assists for three points, and 13 games for the Blues this season. Isn't that funny? Last week we talked about him and his team getting into fight in practice. Yeah. He gets rewarded with a new contract. Yeah, that's weird. I just don't know much about Bortuzzo to really say anything other than that. But you always wonder about, like, teammates fighting teammates sort of thing. I know. And here we thought only Montreal Canadian players do it. Yeah. Or I guess if uh, Durant's to believe Senators. Yeah. They hate Although them. we haven't had we a fight. hate fu- them like they hate themselves. Although we haven't had a wow. fight in practice in 10 years. Didn't Neil do one? Like Mc, McGratton oh, yeah, and McGratton. Emery. Right. No, uh, well, that's not true. Bobby Ryan went after Seeloff. Seeloff. After hit on MacArthur. That, that was dumb. Yeah. But also, Pat Seeloff is a point-per-game player in the NHL, so we do have to respect that. That is true. That is true. Not really. Philadelphia Flyers have fired head coach Dave Heskill after Ed has been replaced on an interim basis by Scott Gordon. Hustle recorded a 134, 101, and 42 record in three and a half seasons with the Flyers. So before we go any further, Tim, I just want to give a thank to to head coach Dave Hosknell on his time with the Philadelphia Flyers and everything he's done. But Dave, you're fired. I feel bad because this is just him getting bit by the goalie curse. And... You have to wonder if it... Because, like, the Philadelphia team hasn't played too bad under him, but a lack of playoff success because Philly's goalie curse mm-hmm. just kind of killed him. And I'm not sure if it's... I really wonder what it is. Is it, is it a co- goaltending coaching thing? Is there just some sort of black hole in the city of brotherly love that just absorbs pucks to the net? Like, I don't, I don't know. get what's going on. I'm not sure, Tim. I feel bad for the guy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oilers head coach Ken Hitchcock spoke out following the Oilers game versus Vancouver. While Hitchcock credited the Canucks defense for a very strong third period, he did criticize the league for not doing enough to protect his star player, Connor McDavid. I always wonder about coaches coming out and sit, petitioning the refs. Like, is that an appropriate thing to do, or is it just kind of whining? Yeah, it's kind of whining, because you got to realize that players, star players are picked on more than anybody. Yeah. You know, you see it from Crosby. You saw it with Matthews. You saw it with Tavares, Stamkos, Carlson. You know, you see it with these kind of players, right? That they know who the better players are and they go after them. But that also kind of reminds me of uh, Paul McLean as well. But then again, some of those hits that Mark Stone was taking that playoff series were pretty bad. Yeah. Sticking with Connor McDavid, Edmonton one of the captain. Connor McDavid surprised the SWAT 638 Falcons outdoor practice at 
Macaulay Rink in Edmonton with an impromptu scrimmage game. McDavid hooked up the kids with some early Christmas presents, courtesy of EA Sports and Adidas. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and that's funny because McDavid doesn't exactly have the best relationship with the fans. He seems to be kind of... I don't want to say shut off, but I, from what I hear, he seems like he's a very... Oh, yeah, thanks. Doesn't really interact with the fans a whole lot. Oh, okay. And that's a, a far cry from guys like P.K. Subban and mm-hmm. some of these hockey players who are so... Like, they'll take time to mm-hmm. be really good with the fans. Well, I guess the hard thing is just, like, I wonder if he grow into that. Maybe, because, I mean, you guys saying he's been... You know, he's had all this... Excuse me, all this pressure, all of this attention on him since he was, what, 15, 16 years yeah. old? And if that's just not your personality type, then it's gonna, it takes effort to do that sort of shit. Yeah, I mean, even look at Wayne Gretzky. Gretzky seems like somebody who's a very soft-spoken... I don't want to say keeps himself, but he seems like a very public person who's a very... Seems like a really nice guy and real person. Mm-hmm. And given all the attention he's always received since he was a kid, he seems like he's really relished in that right yeah like he really takes the time to you know have conversations with fans and be open to the fans well mario lemieux is known for being somewhat reclusive yeah and mar and that's just mario's personality right that Mm -hmm. but i think a lot of it had to do with mario's french canadian english isn't his first language i I, you often wonder how much of that you have to credit but then again like counterpoint eric carlson didn't speak much english but then he became like he worked on it and it just turned out he was a very gracious person. There was just, a, once he got over the language barrier, it was fine. Yeah, and Carlson's relationship with the fans has been decent. Like, he's been one of those guys, like, if people see him in public, there are certain instances where he's just like, you know, hey, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of something. Kind well, of I mean, that's fair. And that's fair, you know, and he will take time to talk to fans within reason, of course, mm. right? Like, if he's out with dinner or whatever... You know, yeah, leave him be. Yeah. He's a human being, right? And that's... Mm. No, I got nothing more to say. Yeah, I think I we should go on to our next story. CTV Ottawa reporter Mike Aldrinas reported a story regarding a backyard ice rink being ordered to be taken down after a complaint filed by a neighbor who claimed it was an eyesore. Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson commented that he has seen the video and has vowed to take action regarding the particular case. I just don't get this one. I don't get it either. Like, you know what? Just let the kids have the fun. And it's it's not your fucking lot. Yeah, and that's what the people have said online. He says, if you don't like it, don't look at it. Yeah, like, I don't think there's any bylaw against it. No, I don't think so. And it's a good use of the backyard. Mm-hmm. Now, from what I see, I think it was in the... Look like it was in the side yard, not the backyard. Same difference. I know, but... Whoa. But have you seen some of the backyard lots uh, that James Duffy was retweeting on Christmas Eve? Yes. They're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, some guy just made a replica of the Jets ice, like, yeah, I know, it's the awesome. FTS setter's ice ice sheet. I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah, I know. Some people are just, you know, artists when it comes to that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, so, I don't know. I don't like this. No, I don't really like it either. Former Pittsburgh Penguins forward Pascal Dupuis appeared on a French television program in his native Quebec when he caused controversy after suggesting a rift between head coach Mike Sullivan and Penn superstars Evgeny Malkin and Phil Kessel. Again, I always bring... 
I always, I'm always a little skeptical about these sort of things because you never hear about it when a team's doing okay. Yep. You would imagine that... Unless you're Ottawa. Unless you're Ottawa. Like, you would imagine that this stuff was there before... We would have heard about this before, mm -hmm. even if the team was doing all right, if this sort of riff was there, because, like, it's like watching TMZ. You're always trying to, like, pick at the scab a bit. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff behind closed doors that a lot of fans don't know of. And I know even last night when we were at your place, I mentioned ESPN's doing a 10-part documentary series on the 1990s Chicago Bulls. Mm -hmm. And you have to imagine what kind of infighting that must have been behind the scenes. Because you have three big personalities in Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. Then you add Phil Jackson to the Dennis mix, right? Rodman. Yeah, and you know, because MJ is addicted to competition. Mm -hmm. You have Scottie, who seems to have a very me-me personality. And Dennis Rodman's just Dennis Rodman. Yeah, so it'd be... I, like, for a lot of these... I, in 10 years' time, I wouldn't mind seeing, like, a retrospective on the current Senators. Yeah. That'd be fucking insane. I know. And, <coughs> you know, that would be interesting to comment on it, because you could imagine... Well, I guess Brian Murray's not here anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't can't get his point of view on the, the matter? Well, he was the glue. He was, and we saw that after he died, right? Because everything happened last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Columbus Blue Jackets head coach John Tortorella was doing a press a pregame press conference when a reporter's phone went off. Tortorella, who is notorious for having certain rules for his players and the reporters, laughed about the incident while asking the reporter to leave. If this was Tortorella ten years ago, he would have lost it. Oh, he would have murdered the guy. And even Sean Avery said in his book the same thing. He goes that uh, he would just kick reporters out if their phone went off. He goes that's how much control that he demanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, a lot of the players that don't like Tortorella, it's like, yeah, the guy, they say the guy was a total control freak. Mm -hmm. But you know what's funny? Even since, he, when he, since he's gone to Columbus, it seems like we see a new side of Tortorella that he's obviously changed a bit. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he'll go to his players' funerals this time. Let's go on to our next story, Tim. A game between the Detroit Red Wings and Philadelphia Flyers made news as Justin Kowalski served as a backup for the Red Wings, Jonathan Bernier. Yes, I can't believe Jonathan Bernier is still in the league. Yeah, no this, made, this made news because Kowalski is a geologist by day who plays beer league hockey two to three times a week. God, I love the emergency backup rule. I know. Actually, the funniest First one Scott Foster, and now this Spent Jello. Uh, someone was talking with... Because Alex Alt does a radio show in Vancouver nowadays. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, yo, Alex, do, do you think you could hop in as an emergency backup? He's like, no, I actually can't because I'm a former NHLer. They're looking for guys who never really got a chance because uh, it's such a freak thing and these guys are good enough that they can play like a period or two. Yeah. And that's all they'll ever need. So we might as well give someone who didn't get the chance to have a big game to have a big game. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, that's actually kind of cool. Because, like, if Alex Ald was eligible, I'm sure he would be on every team's roster because he's a former NHL guy. I, you know what's funny? I think the guys in the sense call-ups asked Jamie McClendon the same thing. And Noodles is like, no, I still have to serve my four-game suspension. <laughs> yeah, That's real useful. It's like, it is really useful, man. What did he get suspended for? Uh, he's beard Johan Franzen. Honestly, I, he, I get that. He, he got suspended four games, and he just retired. <laughs> well, Tim, it's time to talk about the Senators. Actually, 
before we do that, though, I'm really surprised how many of the TSN five guys are former goalies. That is true. Yeah, because it's like Noodles, uh, Marty Biron. Yep. Uh, there's one more that I'm not I'm blanking on. Well, Ferraro's not a former no, goalie. Ferraro's He's a forward. But yeah, it's like a good chunk of your guys are just goalies. Yep. Actually, has Marty Biron been on in a while? No, I thought he did... Uh... No, no, he does English TSN. I thought he did the, the French. No. No, that's um, Patrick Lalim I'm thinking of. Oh, Lalim's on the on RDS. He, he does, yeah, they just... The, that last I heard, he does RDS. Oh, shit, I should watch that more. Tim, you don't even speak French. Yes, I do. I'm bilingual. Hmm. All right. Disgraced Ottawa Senators assistant GM Randy Lee pled guilty in the case filed against him by a 19-year-old male bus driver in Buffalo. Lee was sentenced to one night in jail and a $120 fine. Well, that's a slap in the wrist. But that makes it sound like he took a plea deal. Yeah. So, like, they probably didn't have much more, but they could drag him through a sticky trial. Yeah. At least least he didn't pull a Kevin Spacey and say he was gay. Yeah. Well, I mean... I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't me be surprised. Well, I mean, given that given the he centers. did it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... I don't know. I'm not sure I like... I'm not sure I like the sentence, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. He got... Like, it's obvious he got a plea deal. So there's something else going on, but... Yeah, it's surprising that the senators tried to defend him. Yeah, I don't know, man. When it... This was the wrong guy to defend. Pretty much. Now we come to the big story. Ottawa-based land developer Trinity Development is suing Senators owner Eugene Melnick and Capital Sports Management Inc. for $1 billion over its partnership to redevelop La Breton Flats. This lawsuit is in response to Melnick's own $700 million lawsuit against Trinity filed last month. The group claims that Capital Sports and their executives, including former CEO Cyril Leader, knew about 900 Albert from the outset of the RLG joint venture as it was an integral part of the relationship. Trinity also alleged that Melnick backed out of the plan because he was upset someone else was going to profit off the construction of some nearby condos. And it's interesting because what we get immediately after... Like, this countersuit was expected, and the content of it is not surprising. The $1 billion price tag is just fun lawyer talk. Now, what's interesting is after this lawsuit dropped, about an hour or so later... Uh, Capital Sports Group responds with, okay, how about we take this deal? Uh, we'll give you all the profits, but you'll front the money. Which caught, which was immediately responded to by Trinity and a lot of the media. It's like, oh, so you're just sharking for a free arena. It's interesting because like this whole thing really suggests, it really throws credence to the fact that like Melnick's running out of gas. And that's yeah. what people are seeing. Uh, it's interesting because Elliot Friedman brings up the fact that, uh, at the GM's meeting earlier this month, mm-hmm. uh, Eugene Melnick was not there. Yeah, and, however, and we commented on that, right? Yeah. However, a sale was reportedly brought up the, at a price value of $400 million. The league decided that probably wasn't enough. Yeah, just because you got to not only buy the team, but you got to cover the, the debt, debt that Melnick put the team into. So what's interesting is but that can bring down the price. It, the existing debt load because you're de- if it's attached to the asset you're devaluing the asset you are devaluing the the if it's packaged you can be de- overall devaluating the equity of the asset which is what you're actually trying to pay for however the palace intrigue view of this is that the idea of selling the senators is not it's it's in play 
So it's being considered. So we probably won't see any outright outright intervention by Gary Bettman because it seems like things are moving in a safe way. The other things that uh, that Friedman mentioned, I think this is probably too speculative. This is pure speculation. I don't think it's on the mark. Is that the federal election is complicating this? Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a federal election issue. No, and even Pan mentioned that on his Twitter, right? He said that this is a very minor thing in the grand scheme of things regarding the election. Yeah, like, I don't think the federal liberals care. Uh, the NCC is appointed. They don't care. Yep. Like, they're going to get it done on their time frame. Something's getting built at Le Breton. It will probably be... A, I still think it's going to be an arena. But we'll just see how the drama continues to play out. There may there there may be more fun turns yet. Uh, there's still a meeting. The next meeting is in January. I wonder how much of this actually goes to court. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if these suits get dropped. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either, right? Because it's basically a game of chicken. They want to see who's who's the one that blinks first. Yeah, it, pretty much. And as stubborn as Eugene Melnick is, I don't think he can. Def- I don't think he has the money to run a legal team no. and lose. No, I don't think so either, Brett, because if he ends up losing, he has to pay it. Mm-hmm. And what happens then, right? Then he's now forced to sell the team. Pretty much. Well, the other thing that you have to look at this is that both sides are negotiating through the media instead of negotiating amongst themselves. Yeah. So that re- that relationship is very strained. Pretty much. And I mean, that's not the way to go, right? The, the best way to go is to do it through negotiations. Yeah, and I wonder what the NC... Like, worst comes to worst, the NCC just forces it back to tender. And that puts the arena back a few years. Mm -hmm. But I think they would rather do that than have nothing. Yeah. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour. And now it's time to head on to the games. we got three games to talk about. we got the Predators versus the Senators, Senators versus the Devils, and the Capitals versus the Senators. But before we do that... Let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Preds versus the Senators. This is a 4-3 Senators overtime victory. Preds versus goals were scored by Roman Yossi and Craig Smith. Senators goals were scored by Max Lejoie. Brady DeChuck, Ryan Dezingle, and... Hot Sam Bacho! Shots were 34-23 for Nashville. A mixed, bag, a mixed bag game overall, despite Ottawa outplaying Nashville in the first period. Nashville outplayed Ottawa for majority of the game until the momentum swung in favor of Ottawa, which led to the victory. Now, despite comments from the players stating that this was a gutsy win, I had mixed feelings on this game. Because mm-hmm. overall, even though I did not think Ottawa played a great game, especially defensively in the second and third period... Their offense was able to burn Nashville on a number of occasions. Pekka Rene played really badly. Yeah, because he was a .7, yeah, .727 save percentage, three goals and 11 shots. Yeah, like, it was not his night. However, uh, kudos to Saros. He came in and played a very good game up until the end. Yes, he did. Actually, you know who also played a really great game, and hard to believe, we're mentioning this again, the Chuck White Stone line, again, was the best line for the Senators. Well, they came out... And uh, they saw a lot of the Johansson line. Mm-hmm. They beat them. Yep. Handily. Uh, 
And then Thomas Shabbat, even though he uh, had the anchor known as Ben Harper as his partner all game, yeah, they played very well against that lo- that line and very well against uh, Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis. Yeah, three players again that look like hot garbage: CC Harper and Bora. Yeah, spe- like CC was pretty far down the shots allowed graph. Wasn't his worst showing, to be honest. Honestly. Drake Batherson was invisible this game again. Mm-hmm. And he was after, and then he was actually sent down after this game, which not surprising given as when we spoke to Trevor Shackles earlier that he was a non-factor after Duchesne got injured. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I don't. Outside of uh, Shabbat Stone, Colin White, Brady Kachuk, not the Senators' best showing. No, and Ottawa looked really undisciplined, taking a number of stupid penalties in this game. Yeah. And uh, they got burned for it. Yeah. But uh, with, yeah, two power play goals. That's awful, man. Craig Anderson, this is another one of those games where I don't blame him on this one because two of the goals he was screened on and the third bounced off his defenseman. Yeah. Cody CC. But uh, he still came out with a 91% save percentage. Yeah. So he still played a very good game. Absolutely. And we also can't forget the Kyle Turris Bobby Ryan fight, which was, Ryan won. That was weird. Which honestly could have been a story, but the team killed it quickly. And we also can't forget, it happened right in front of the Concords. Yep. But then again, it's like, what the fuck was Kyle Turris doing? He knows about Bobby Ryan's hands. Don't do that. Yeah, and Bobby Ryan took exception to that. Yeah. Man, you know about this. Don't do that. Yeah, which even Bobby Ryan said after the game. He says, you know, not everybody's going to be buddies with each other in the room. But he had nothing against Kyle Turris. He wasn't really buddy-buddy with him, but... You know, he was uh, cordial with him in the locker room. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Bobby Ryan needs those hands. Yes, he Don't does. break them. Yeah, and I think we should end talking with Thomas Shabbat in that OT winner. Holy shit, that was beautiful. And you know what's funny? Like we said when we talked to Trevor, I says, he is one of those guys that I've been telling people for so long, you need to watch Thomas Shabbat. He's an incredible player. And what I really love is that he sniped it and then he did the Vince Carter, it's over. I was like, that's nice. That's nice. Well, just the toe drag to get into shooting position was fucking beautiful. I know, man. He is so good. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, but overall, I'm surprised that, like, Craig Anderson held the fort for two periods. Yes, basically, he did. Until, like, a, a momentum swing at the end of the game. Yep. But this could have gone, this could have easily gone the other way. Yes, it could have. Uh... Definitely kudos to the Senators. Well, the four, sorry, five best cents. Yeah. But I, I can't wait for Dylan DeMello to get back and Ben Harper isn't playing top line minutes. Yeah, man. So, I don't know if you have any more notes to go on. Should we go into the next uh, game? The only thing to mention is uh, the Senators are out of action for four or five days mm-hmm. between this game and the next game, and it really shows. Sens versus Devils. This is a 5-2 Devils victory. Sens goals were scored by Matt Duchesne with two. Devils scores were scored by Taylor Hall with two. Pavel Zaka, Kyle Palmieri, and Nico Hersher. Shots were 32-27 for the Devils. Pavel Zaka scores first to make it 1-0 Devils after chipping it past Shabbat. Kyle Palmieri scores to make it 2-0 Devils. Duchesne scores to make it 2-1. Taylor Hall snipes one past Anderson to make it 3-1 Devils. Hall gets his second after... Vatanen makes an unbelievable stop to make it 4-1 Devils. Matushin scores on the rebound for his second of the night to make it 4-2. And Nico Hersher scores on the Hall rebound to make it 5-2 Devils. 
vital. Now, I had to condense watch this game because... And this is something that... I can't believe I forgot to mention this off the top of the episode. We had a nasty windstorm. And we knocked out the par. And I had to work that day, plus the par was out at home, so I did get a chance to watch it. But um, can you do me a favor, Tim? Yeah. This comment here. Can you read what that says, please? Did any of the sets show up? Defense was hot garbage. Offense was Matt Duchesne. Anderson looked awful. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell the Sens just weren't really there to play. No. Um, Except for Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne was off the charts, though. Like, we're talking about 75% of all shots, and he he was on the ice for 16 to 18 course mm-hmm. events. Like, the man was on a mission. Kachuk, Stone, and Shabbat were also quite good. Mm-hmm winning the shot battles. Everyone else was just kind of there. Yeah, and it's funny because this was Matt Duchene's first game back from injury, and I felt from what I saw he was the best player of two goals. Even though from what I saw on the condensed game, it looked like a lot of guys were just not in it. No. They were just like slow and flat-footed, and there's not a lot of energy And there's no excuse for that because it's like the Sens were, the Sens had a four-game break. Yep. New Jersey's on the second end of a back-to-back. The sense should have been activated. Mm-hmm. One thing I do have to comment for New Jersey is that I felt, from what I saw, they played a good defensive game. They really did, but you could tell that New Jersey was kind of... There were pockets of, okay, this is a team that's played two games in two nights. Mm-hmm. And Ottawa should have been able to take advantage of that, but they didn't. Yeah. But, like, and that's a coaching thing. Exactly. And we also can't forget Taylor Hall. Yeah. <sighs> Why couldn't we have just traded CC from years ago? One for one. One for one. Best player, two goals and assists, man. That's all you can ask of him, right? Yeah. He's, I just want to say, and I know when he, he played in Edmonton, you saw a good player, but he was either injured or the talent around him wasn't great. Yeah. And while I don't, while the talent isn't exactly around him in New Jersey, he's really developed into a superstar sniper. Oh, yeah. And that's what... That's what everyone was expecting out of him. Uh, another thing I want to say before we go into the next game is okay. player deployment. Right. So, you've got seven defensemen. Mm-hmm. You're playing 11 forwards then. So you're already short-benching your forwards. And then you have Tom Pyatt, eight minutes. Mangus Payarvi, nine minutes. So basically they're throwing shit at the wall and see what sticks. Seeing what sticks, but you've also got your bench really short. And so that your top players are playing a shitload of ice, why even bring those? Why even bring two veterans, quote unquote, when uh, you've got when you're just going to play them eight minutes, nine minutes? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense if you're doing that, right? Yeah, your player deployment makes no goddamn sense. Yeah, Anderson, eighty percent, but again, a lot. The Devils were. Up close all night. Mm-hmm. It was rough. Yeah, well, I mean... And three of those goals came from the slot. It got a little bit better, kind of. Maybe. Yeah. Capitals versus Senators. This is a 4 to nothing Capitals victory. Capitals scored to score by Brett Colley, Matt Neskinen, Jacob Verana, and Michael Kempney. Shots were 35-33 for Ottawa. An exciting, fast-paced game overall. Ottawa overall played a solid offensive game. However, it was Washington who would have the upper hand with their strong defensive play to go along with their offensive play. Let's talk about Ottawa, because I feel overall they played a decent game. Their compete level was good. Their offensive game was strong. However, they couldn't get one past Copley. And the weird thing is there was a lot of 
they just missed the fucking net a lot. Like, they had, they were generating good chances, and they're either just shooting it right into the goalie or missing the net. Yeah, and even guys like Cody Ceci, who I didn't feel was hot garbage, sort of. I mean, he jumped in the play and got a couple of really good shots off, which is so odd when you see that from Cody Ceci, because you see a guy who, he looks so unconfident out there on the ice, that when you see plays like this, it's like, okay, why can't you play like this more often? Like, yeah, no kidding. It's like the flashes are there, but you just there's no consistency. No. Um, you could tell that wa- after the first period, Washington really took their foot off the gas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. This is another game where it's like, I I felt like the team played well enough for the fact that they were on the other end of a back to back. Yeah. But, man, they just they just couldn't hit the net. Yeah. And, and it wasn't like they were getting bad shots either because they were getting right up in front of the goalie. Mm-hmm. Like all most of their chances were. Close in person. But then again, Washington was getting right in the slot, too. Yeah, and that's what I want to comment on is Mike McKenna. Another strong outing, I feel, for him with 29 saves. And this is a guy who, as we said when we talked to Trevor Shackles, he's been a guy who, over the last couple of games, I felt he has really, really turned his game around. Yeah, and it's... Like, if he can put up, like, a de- decent enough numbers, like 80 90%, you're giving the chance, the team a good enough chance to win. Yeah, and at times that we've seen, he hasn't done that, right? And especially when you watch him and you're like, this guy should be playing beer league hockey. Yeah, and it's like the last few weeks, it's like, okay, this guy could be a legitimate backup mm-hmm. for now. Yeah, he's a stopgap. Yeah. Um, one other thing I do want to comment on, and okay. this has been awful for Ottawa, is just special teams. We didn't see the special teams unit a lot, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But man, were they ineffective. Which is funny, because we really haven't talked a lot about their special teams this year. It's because they're boring as shit. Yeah. Like, the the penalty kill's actually not too bad. But, uh, as far as... Yeah, so... Okay, brain not working for a minute here. As far as the power plays, it's so static. Yeah. It doesn't really do anything, and... Yeah, just looking at the Washington game, it's they had troubles gaining the zone. When they did, they kind of passed around to get get not a very good shot, and it's instantly out of the zone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you had three penalty, three power plays, and I think you had three shots. That's not good enough. No. One thing I want to comment on this is Washington's defense. For me, was the big reason that we couldn't get a goal in, other than of course missing those shots. Uh, well, offense, like Washington's defense was pretty decent. It was decent, but you could definitely tell that once it became 2 nothing, 3 nothing, 4 nothing, they really stopped playing. And Ottawa was getting good shots in. But it was, yeah, they're up 4 nothing, and their goalie's playing lights out tonight. Why would they care? Yeah. Yeah, because if you have a solid goalie, you can pretty much take more risks on the defensive oh, end. Oh, for sure. And... Yeah, it was. Ottawa was getting some chances they couldn't, pu- they couldn't punish, and uh, they went down early. Exactly. And I don't know. They just, I don't. They didn't give up, which is honestly quite good. Yeah. Like, and I think you do have to give the coaches some credit there. But uh, it was, it was a hard game to watch because like they were playing well, they just weren't getting rewarded. Exactly. But I think part of it is, you do make your own. You make your own luck. You're gonna have games like that, but you gotta get you get you gotta get to the places to be lucky, 
and then he got a score. Exactly, man. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games if you want to head off into the close for another night. Yeah, and this has been a long episode, man. It is. But you know what? It's our final episode of 2018, and we're going out with a big bang, buddy. Yep. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I loved recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We are on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bod Dave made the mention, we are on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at thirdlineplug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at m901honeybadger, and I'm at greatwhitegipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E, gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about our Sen's first half recap with Trevor Shackles, you want to talk about the games, or you want to talk about how your 2018 went, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Well, Tim, next week we are not going to be returning. We are not? No, because next Monday, which is the next day we usually record, is New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. I will be in Vancouver watching Canada, Russia. I'll be doing something. You'll be doing something. And so that means the week after on, I believe the 7th? Yep. Yeah, January 7th, we will be returning. And we have five games to talk about. We have got the Sens in New York to play the Islanders on Friday. Caps versus the Sens on Saturday. Caps, Sens versus the Blue Jackets on New Year's Eve. Sens versus the Canucks on January 2nd, and the Sens versus the Wild on January 5th. That's going to be a lot to talk Five about. Five games, buddy. Ooh, and I'm actually kind of excited for the Canucks one, because I've been, I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch Elias Peterson play. Same. And you know what? I've, I've only watched his highlights, and it's like, man, this guy's good. Yeah. Like and also, I get to make my Don Taylor references now. Nice. Yes. All right. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for enjoying this episode, and... We're going to close out 2018 the way we always do it. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jancy. Go Sens, guys. Woo! My time here is up. They're going home!